Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is coming. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this morning is our gospel, Luke 1, 39-55, as printed in your bulletin. Dear, eagerly anticipating brothers and sisters in Christ, Marcy was one of those people who always had to have something to tell people about other people. Being in the know was a huge part of her self-image, and if she didn't have all the facts about a situation, she embellished what she did know in order to make a more compelling story. She always wanted to present herself as the kind of person that others confided their deepest thoughts and feelings in in order to encourage people to confide in her their deepest thoughts and feelings. That was always the best way to get the news that she would pass on to other people. At Christmas shopping one day, she ran into her neighbor Molly in the mall food court and joined her for lunch. Conversation naturally turned to other people in the neighborhood, and that gave Marcy her opening. Oh, Molly, I just feel so sorry for Virginia And when I told Judy Wilson down the street, she felt the same way. I wish there was something I could do to help. You you know, her husband, Mark, has that job that involves so much travel, and it has just done terrible things to their relationship. He's become really distant and, and disengaged from their marriage. Why, she told me just the other day that he hasn't even touched her in over a year. It's terrible. She paused, waiting to see how Molly would react to this bombshell bit of news. Molly set down her sandwich and took a breath. She gave Marcy her best, you've got to be kidding me, glare, and said, really? That's interesting. When we had Mark and Virginia over for dinner last Friday, I didn't see any signs of that at all. He was very loving. And considering that she's in her fourth month of pregnancy, showing and glowing, I really have to wonder about the quality of your information. Marcy began to sputter, then fell silent. She determined in that moment to be more careful whom she told her tales to. The whole distant and disengaged story worked best on those who didn't know any better or were already inclined to believe the worst. The same is true about God and his relationship with the world. There's a very common story being told and believed that says he is distant and disengaged that any talk of him loving the world is at odds with both human experience and reality. Sometimes the story is told by skeptics and those who are trying to destroy his reputation. Sometimes it is just what is believed by people who have either never learned any better or who have allowed time, events, or negative rumors to dull their understanding of God's nature and their experience of his love. But a God who gives great gifts is hardly going to be an unloving or disconnected one. 
And through this Advent season, we have been considering His deep generosity as He has given us in the world hope, peace, joy, and, as is our focus today, love. Our readings this fourth Sunday of Advent put the lie to any idea that the Lord is distant or disconnected. Instead, we see that His love engages our world in deep and powerful, much-needed ways. And our gospel, Luke 1, 39-55, shows this most directly. It picks up right after the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary and told her the earth-shattering news that she, a young virgin, was going to conceive and be the mother of the long-promised Messiah, the Son of God. You can imagine how getting away for a while would appeal to her. She undoubtedly needed time to just think about what all this meant and get used to this amazing new reality. And she would probably want to avoid the the stares, questions, and judgment that might come when people started noticing her growing belly. But where would she go? One destination made perfect sense. It was more than suggested by the last thing Gabriel said to her. Listen, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, even though she was called barren, and this is her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible for God. Now Mary was dealing with what seemed to be impossible, so going to see someone who already had six months of experience dealing with the seemingly impossible would surely have seemed a good idea. And so Luke tells us, In those days Mary got up and hurried to the hill country, to a town of Judah. She entered the home of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Just as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She called out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In fact, just now, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed, because the promises spoken to her from the Lord will be fulfilled. One little detail here that's helpful to note is that we are told nothing to suggest that Elizabeth had advance notice of Mary's coming. That means that there would have been no way that Elizabeth could have known about Gabriel's visit or even that Mary was pregnant. This was way too early for her to have been showing. So the only way that the older woman could have known anything was because of what we are told here. She had been filled with the Holy Spirit who revealed this to her. In the same way, the only way that she could have known how to interpret the leaping of the baby in her womb, the six months older John the Baptist, this was all miraculous and amazing enough on its own. But God had a greater purpose with all this, to reassure Mary and to strengthen her faith. First, Elizabeth's belly at six months And her words confirming that there was a child in her womb would have told Mary that this impossible thing that Gabriel had told her about 
was true, thus confirming everything else the angel had said to her. And then there were the actual words of her aged relative. They not only confirmed the holy identity of the child now growing inside her, but blessed Mary for trusting all the Lord's message and promises. And if the younger woman had had any doubts as to how big a deal all this really was, she could also consider this. Elizabeth, who had been barren all her life and was way, way past her childbearing years, had conceived and would soon bear the baby she had always wanted. And she had God's own assurance that he would be a special child with a special purpose. This was already a mind-blowing reality of great consequence for her. And yet, with just a moment's revelation at Mary's greeting, Elizabeth told her that this visit from the mother of my Lord, was an even bigger deal than all of that. But let's take a step back for a moment and ask what all of this revealed about God's doings here. Imagine perhaps a a fellow resident of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth's town in Judea. He has attended the synagogue all his life, gone regularly to the temple when he was supposed to, and knew all the stories of Israel's history. Yet, when he considers the more recent history of his people, he finds it hard to reconcile with what the Scriptures say. All those promises of God's love and mercy, his provision and protection, and most importantly, the prophecies of a Messiah King. And still, still the Jews were living under the thumb of the Romans, and the despotic rule of an outsider, King Herod. This skeptic would say, well, if ever it were true that God got involved with his people, it certainly isn't true today. We're pretty much on our own. But what we see in this thrilling encounter in the hill country of Judea is a complete refutation of such ideas And it is astounding evidence of God's loving engagement. And not just with the world in general, but with individuals in their hearts, minds, and bodies. The Lord had opened and blessed the womb of aged Elizabeth and informed her and her husband exactly why and and what their son would become. And because of that son... God revealed to Elizabeth that the long-promised Messiah had now actually entered the human story and was alive on the earth at that moment. And in an even more miraculous way, the Holy Spirit had engaged with young Mary to conceive in her without the involvement of a human father, conceive in her a son who would be both the Lord of the world and its Savior, taking away all people's sins, just as God had promised to his people over and over and over through the long centuries that they had waited. It is no wonder, then, that the wonder of all of this 
inspired Mary to a song of praise and thanksgiving. Then Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Every line Mary speaks here, from the first because, presents us with a God of mercy who does the exact opposite of standing apart from his creation. Because he loves, he showered his favor on Mary, who deserved nothing from him. And now she is called blessed by every generation after. Because God loves He treats with mercy those who fear him, those who know his holiness and power and trust him for grace. Because God loves, he puts his almighty power to work among men, delivering the humble by bringing down the haughty and arrogant, whether from the heights of their intellectual rebellions or from the majesty of their thrones. Because God loves, he feeds the hungry, and denies satisfaction to those who take pride in their wealth. And because he loves his people Israel, he keeps his promise to their forefathers, to Abraham and the patriarchs, to send the very Savior that was at that moment growing in Mary's womb. No wonder that her soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord But even more importantly, her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Contrary to those who like to present Christ's mother as a woman who was herself untainted by sin of any sort, Mary herself affirms here that she is a sinner in need of salvation. And the amazing thing is that the Savior she and all the world needed right there inside her. We can hardly begin to grasp the awesome sense of responsibility she must have felt when she considered that. And that son she bore is the ultimate evidence of God's love and proof that his love could not stay at a distance and ignore his world's troubles, corruption, or pain. If any of us could have saved ourselves from death, if any of us could have solved the problem of evil, if any of us could have put an end to the struggles of life in an unjust and imperfect world, there would have been no need for the Lord to act. He he could have kept himself separate and just sat back to watch us fix things ourselves but we are not able to do any of those things. In fact, spiritually speaking, we are not able to do anything for ourselves. 
We are thoroughly tainted by sin. We cannot get rid of the stain we inherit from our first parents. We have no way to rid ourselves of the guilt we accumulate from each act of rebellion against God's will, whether big or small. We all die because that is the price of sin and no piety, philosophy, or scientific advance has found a way to stop it. And any attempt we might make to bribe or cajole or sweet-talk our way out of hell and into heaven is doomed from the start because as sinners, we cannot even approach the perfectly holy God, let alone produce anything that would turn him from wrath to mercy. No, the only way for any man, woman, or child of this earth to be delivered from sin and its consequences is for God himself to step in and powerfully change everything that needs to be changed. He wouldn't have to. He would be under no obligation No one could complain if he acted only in justice or even indifference. God could simply stand back and let us make our sinful choices and go to hell without hope of anything more. But that is not our God. Not the God of Scripture. Not the God who created us in our world. And not the God who opened Elizabeth's womb and filled Mary's. No the one and only true God, loved the world in such a way that he sent his one and only Son, that he gave love, that all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because he loved each of us and all of us, he cared what happened to us. He made a plan to save us. And when the time had fully come, He acted on that plan. And here in the hill country of Judea, we see that plan magnificently coming to fruition. And Mary's soul magnified the Lord to see and know and feel her Savior's coming. Of course, neither she nor Elizabeth understood all that their saving would entail. Perhaps they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament well enough to have an idea that that things would not go so well for either of their sons. But more likely, they held firmly in faith to the promises without concerning themselves with the means and events by which they would be fulfilled. Even so, what awaited Mary's son was not a, a childhood spent in palaces or a prince's education not the support of his people's leaders or a shining throne in Jerusalem. What God's love required of Jesus was that he submit to poverty and rejection, malicious prosecution and injustice, immeasurable suffering and a bloody, gasping, agonizing death. Not because he deserved it in any way, but because we deserved it all. And he was willing to take our place, to bear it all, and to pay the full price of our sins. When his father called him to engage our world and its troubles, Jesus was all in. 
He loved us from conception to the cross, from Mary's womb to his garden tomb. And he's still engaged for our sake. He rose from the dead and left that tomb on the third day so that his resurrection, his resurrection and life could be our resurrection and life just as his suffering and death was designed to be our suffering and death. We know all this because we have Christ's whole story. Mary and Elizabeth that day did not. Which means that the praise and rejoicing we do when we consider how the Lord has loved us and what he has done for us is, or, or at least should be, even greater than theirs was. We have been saved by the undeserved love of the Father in Jesus, his Son, which we hold on to through faith in him, which is given only by the work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. This is the reason for the season. This is why Jesus was born and why we celebrate. And this is why we love. Because God loved us first. And why we engage the people and the world around us with that love. That's how God did it first. For us who trust in the Lord of all grace and who know the whole story of Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. Love is, is not just a feeling or an ideal or a word that we throw around. It is who we are and all we do. As the Son of God took on flesh to save us, we help and serve our neighbors in the flesh with food for the hungry, a helping hand for the weak, healing for the sick, comfort for the dying, guidance for the lost, and the saving message of the gospel for the unbelieving. As the Lord had compassion on a rebellious world, we have compassion even on those who persecute and oppose us. And as the Father gave up His most precious Son in order to bring us into His family, so we deny ourselves and put the needs of others ahead of our own, especially our husbands and wives, our children and our parents, our brothers and sisters, and our fellow Christians, but also our classmates and co-workers, our, our friends and fellow commuters, even strangers in the street and members of the other party. Because that is how God loved us in Christ. And that is how we now love our neighbor, whoever he or she might be. So to the arrogant or the ignorant, to the self-assured or the self-reliant, to the skeptic or to the sheep led astray, we have an answer. God did so love the world. And he did not divorce or distance himself from it, but did the exact opposite. He went all in and engaged with it in flesh and blood and word and deed. And the first witnesses of this loving incarnational engagement were not elite priests or degreed theologians, but two expectant mothers who humbly trusted the Lord of all grace and mercy 
to powerfully keep his promises. And he did. Because that's who he is. And that's how he deals with his children at all times and in all things. He loves. And he engages with and for those he loves. Proclaim his greatness. And rejoice in God our Savior. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.